want you to turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, reading through chapter 2, and ending at chapter 2, verse 10. Before I start to read, uh, just to note that the Apostle Paul, in this uh, first chapter of the letter to the Ephesian Christians, has, uh, has uh, let them know of his uh, joy in their having heard of the gospel, the word of truth, the gospel, verse 13, and uh, uh, that they have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were sealed with the promised spirit. And uh, in verses 15 and following, he tells them what his prayer for them is as they continue in living the Christian life. And so here we have, beginning at verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are... His workmanship, created 
in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, as we have worshipped you so far in this service of worship and offered to you our song of praise, magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. May Christ be magnified even in this, uh, this time. And may your word take, be uh, illumined in our minds and take root in our hearts. We ask this through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Those of you who were in the adult Sunday school class, a few of you were, um, remember that we heard a sermon this morning uh, from Pastor Warren Peel on revival. One of the things that uh, we took from that, one of the takeaways from that, was that in the building of God's kingdom uh, does not depend upon human power. doesn't depend on human ingenuity or giftedness but it depends directly upon the power of God. Uh, we, uh, Eileen and I, have a, uh, uh, a craftsman riding lawnmower. And uh, this past summer, if you had seen us when we were trying to mow our lawn, you might have seen us uh, parking the car as close as we could get to the uh, the lawnmower because the battery was dead, and uh, taking, uh, uncovering the battery in the lawnmower and attaching cables to it and then uh, attaching them to the car battery, and uh, the power from that car battery uh, helped, or helped us out greatly, uh, and that battery that was dead in the tractor mower uh, suddenly uh, turned over the engine and we were able to mow our lawn. And we, that happened several times this past summer because we were too cheap to go out and buy a new battery. <laughs> but that battery is useless and I expect that uh, in, the, in the spring and summer when we have to start mowing again, we're going to have to get a new one. We're going to have to give in and spend the money. As dead as that battery is, so is everyone who is in Adam. We are in a condition where uh, we are unable to have fellowship with God. We're unable to even know how we may have fellowship with God. And, and we stumble around in the darkness of our own ignorance. And uh, yet God... If you are someone who has come here today and you are living in relationship with Jesus Christ and count yourself to be a Christian, like the Ephesians who first received this letter from the Apostle Paul, God did something uh, that was, an, it was a, a mighty, powerful miracle of grace. You may not have felt it to be so in the sense that it may not have been as 
dramatic as we might picture something that is such a mighty work of grace. For example, even in the, in, uh, let's take creation. In the creation of the world, God spoke, and out of nothing, it came into being. There is, there is divine power. And uh, in, in, in the working of nature, God is at work in his, through his word, carrying out his will. So, uh, what Paul is saying here to these Ephesian believers is that the work of God in them is not a result of anything in them, but that God has done something very, very dramatic. He has poured out his spirit in their hearts, and he has brought them to a living and saving faith in Jesus Christ. And... uh, that took, they came to, they heard the gospel, they came to faith, they came to know that Christ's death on the cross was the payment for their sins, and they trusted in Christ alone, not anything in themselves, and they became uh, Christians. Well, that is a result of divine power, and that, the basic message of this passage is this, that faith in Jesus Christ is the effect of divine power. Faith in Jesus Christ is the effect of divine power. It flows and it comes from Christ in his ascended glory. But faith in Christ is not an easy thing. It is not a matter of just merely assenting to something and believing that something is true. I do think that that is one of the things that um, in the visible church at large, sometimes we comfort ourselves in the sense that we believe the right things. We are able to recite the Apostles' Creed. And we believe those things with our minds. But faith in Christ is more than knowledge and assent to the truth of things that we consider to be true. Faith in Jesus Christ is the abandonment of trust in any works of my own and trusting in the work of Christ alone, the work of Christ on the cross, paying the penalty for my sin. And that Christ alone, then, is the object of my faith and my trust. And I have abandoned all hope that anything that I can do will save me. But Christ alone is able to save me. That is not something that is merely um, uh, the flipping of a switch. It's not merely just uh, uh, an acknowledgement uh, of, of the truth of, uh, of something but it is actually the effect of divine power. It does not happen without it. So faith in Christ is the effect of divine power. And so I want us to see uh, this passage under uh, five points. First, the measure of that power. Second, the objects of that power. Third, the motive of the power. Fourth, the resulting effect of that power, and fifth, the purpose of it. 
I'm not going to spend a long time on each of these or else we'll be here for quite a while. But first of all, the measure of the power that it takes for a person to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul gives us that when he says that he wants them to know the immeasurable greatness. Look with me at verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? And I want you to notice in verse 19 that it says there, the the word power is used uh, three times. First, you see the word power itself. And then also the word working. The Greek behind that word working is energy or the effective power. And then you see the word might. So power, working, or energy, and then might. So the repetition of words there indicates that the Apostle Paul wants them to dwell upon and think about the power of God. And the, he calls it immeasurable, and he, said is, he says it is immeasurable, immeasurably great. And he says that it is, the, it is a, a great might, a great power. Now, how are we to measure this power? Verse 20. It is a power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so uh, he draws our attention to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For all of human history, each and every person who is born of Adam has been subject to death. But because of the fact that the nature of the, the human nature of the Son of God that he joined himself to, though it suffered weakness, it was without sin. Because of his sinlessness, his death then is not for his own sin, but it is a sacrificial death for the sins of his people. And because he was without sin, death could not hold him, though it has held everyone else. Death has a great power over humanity. It has power over us. But it did not have power over the Son of God. And God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And he now is glorified in both his human nature, in his human nature it is glorified, it is raised to the highest level. And he has been given authority over the principalities and the powers and the rulers of forces of evil in heavenly places. Jesus Christ has been raised above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And this is a result of God's great power in raising him from the dead. 
And Jesus Christ is not only spoken of here as being above all rule and authority and having been given a dominion, but he is also said to be made head over all things to the church. All things have been put under his feet, and he is head over the church. And he was given the Holy Spirit in all its fullness. And that spirit, that life that God gave to him is a life that he now desires for his people to share in. And this is what we come to when we see uh, at verse 23, after mentioning in 22 that he is head over all things to the church, he says that the church is his body, and the church is the fullness of him. It is his fullness who fills all in all. So he is divine, and he fills all in all, but the church is his body, and it is his fullness. And that word fullness means that in some sense, the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory considers himself to be incomplete apart from those that he came to die for. He died for the sins of his people. He is in heaven now, and he longs to be united with each and every one for whom he died. And that union with Jesus Christ is the purpose of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has been glorified and given his spirit. And so the power of God is first of all seen in the resurrection and the glory of Christ and in the fact that he has now had poured out upon him the Holy Spirit which he wishes now to give or to pour out upon his elect people. The second thing I'd like for us to notice is the nature of those whom he uh, has loved and uh, their, uh, uh, their condition. The object of, their power, of his power are saints who are dead spiritually. You are dead in the trespasses and sins, he says in verse 1. You have uh, no power. To be dead is to be motionless. To be dead is to have no power. It is, uh, he describes it, he says, you once walked and followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so who are these elect, chosen before the foundation of the world, those for whom Christ died and upon whom he wishes to shower his miraculous power. They are in themselves dead. They are uh, living, but with respect to fellowship or communion with God, they do not know God. They are dead to him. And they are not reconciled to God. And so each and every one in natural state of Adam, and each and every one of us here this morning, in ourselves are without 
ability without any power, dead in trespasses and sins. And that doesn't mean that we're incapable of uh, having, uh, that uh, we're incapable of doing anything that is good by human standards of being responsible, carrying out our lives, having families, uh, doing uh, things that are considered to be good and helpful in society. Uh, people who are dead toward God do all of those things because they have the works of the law of God imprinted on their hearts. But with respect to eternal life, they do not have it. And they're blinded by the things of this world. And they are cut off from the life that is in God, dead in trespasses and sins. And so often it is that that is combined with just such a gross ignorance of the reality and the nature of the world. They consider themselves to be self-sufficient, and they trust in their own abilities, and they do not realize that they live and they move and they have their being in God. And it is by God's power and grace that they even have hearts that beat. And they're carried along, and they do things according to the uh, society and the, the majority of, 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 of what people around them think, is, and they conform to that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit at work, and the sons of disobedience. And they are the objects of, of the wrath of God. That the wrath of God, that they are by nature children of wrath, and that is your condition and mine by nature. We are subject to the just punishment of our sins. So that's our condition. Thirdly, but notice that the Apostle Paul goes on and he says in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here he states that even those who hate God, even those who are separated from God, even those that are subject to his wrath, he says, because of his the great love with which he loved us, when we were dead, you see, when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. And so what we notice then is that the motive for God's power is that he is full of love for his people. He is very great in love because of the his great love with which he loved us. God's love is highlighted as the great motive for his redeeming power. He loved us while we were yet sinners. And love is something that is hard to define. But we may say this, that God has an intense concern for, a deep personal interest in, a warm attachment to, and a spontaneous 
tenderness toward those whom he sets his love upon. And when we try to describe even the love of God, we feel that we but stammer. Before the world was created, and we've studied this recently in our congregation, the covenant of redemption, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit covenanted together to bring about the salvation of those who were dead in sin, those who were lost in misery. And he, uh, the Father, uh, covenanted with the Son, and the Son with the Father. And all of that comes out of an eternal, unchanging love. And that's something that the Apostle Paul speaks about here in, earlier in the first chapter uh, of this letter when he says um, he says um, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will in love you see the Apostle Paul says that the great motive of his power is his great love. Why should he love us? That is the great, that's the problem that we struggle with, isn't it? We look at our own lives and we see so much that is not lovable. Why should God love me? The only reason that we can give is not a reason that really that we know. It's just that he chose to. He chose to. And he did it because of the greatness of his love for you. So then what is the effect? What is the effect, fourthly, of this power? We see this in verses 4 through 6. The effect is that he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So we see then that the first effect of God's uh, power is a resurrection. Have you noticed, have you noticed that the Apostle Paul, having described the power that raised Christ from the dead, now he goes to say that now there is a, a, another resurrection to follow, the resurrection of those upon whom he sets his love. And he says he made us alive. He took that which was dead and he brought it to life. And that is something that only God can do. Only he has the power to raise the dead. He did it first with his son, and now he is doing it with those who are in his son. He made us alive. This is a miracle. This is an amazing thing. It is not something, uh, when we speak about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the effect of having been raised from death. It is a miracle of divine grace. Jesus Christ has been given 
the power to grant life to whom he wills. And he grants it. He grants it. He gives it. He gives life. In John 17, we read Jesus, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. All whom the Father gave to him. He now, he says, you have granted me the authority to give this life, and he gives it, and it is a working of his almighty power. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Has God done this great miracle in you? Have you come to know the miracle of resurrection? Do you know the before and the after? Do you recognize the difference that it makes in your heart that once you did not care at all about God or the things of Christ, and now you do? Once you didn't care about sin, now it's in real, your sin really bothers you? Once you didn't believe in Christ, and now you cling to him and to him alone? All of that is a result of divine power and of Christ giving you a resurrection. The purpose of Christ's coming in the first place was that he would have a holy human nature. And that through that human nature, that holiness that belongs to him, he would then give to those whom he died for. And it is that he might give to them that which uh, he has received himself. That is the purpose of his own uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Uh, someone has, the, the Apostle Paul put it this way, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we also bear the image of the man from heaven. It is the man from heaven who is now bringing about the spiritual resurrection, raising from the dead uh, those who are dead in their sins and giving them life. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit who is poured out upon Christ and he now pours out upon all those who are members of his body. This is pictured beautifully in the Old Testament by the anointing of the priest. You remember that the, the oil was poured first on the head and then it flows down over the whole of his body. So the Father anointed Christ with his spirit and that spirit comes from him and it affects a spiritual resurrection. It gives life to those who are dead. That is the effect. It is a union with Christ. When the Holy Spirit works faith in the heart, he unites us to Jesus Christ. He places us with him. He made us alive together with Christ. 
and he raises us and seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so it is that Paul describes the Christian as one who is not only uh, uh, raised spiritually from spiritual death, but that he sees us as sitting with Christ in the heavenly places even now. It is such a certain thing that that resurrection that begins in spiritual new birth will take place as well throughout the Christian's life, that the source of that power will continue to be operative upon him even when our bodies are in the grave. And he will raise us to newness of life, and we will sit with Christ in the heavenlies forever. And we are, in a sense, even with him now. Such is the certainty of it. And then finally, consider what is the purpose of all of this. The Apostle Paul tells us in verse 7, he has done this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace, of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship. That word uh, workmanship uh, is a word from which uh, the word in the Greek, a poem comes from. Poema, poema. And it's the idea of something that he has worked on, something that he has made. And those who are in Christ Jesus are made by him. And he has made us for the praise of his grace. It is not because of anything that you do. It is by God's grace. It is a gift, freely given. And that is, that is the, the, the beauty and the wonder of this work that God is doing. It is why we stand in awe and in amazement. How is it that God should love me? How is it that God should invite me to have fellowship with him only for the magnification of his own mercy and his own kindness and his own grace? You notice the way those words are repeated there again and again. He intends to glorify himself in these things. The creation itself shows the power of God and his righteousness and his wisdom. But the recreation in Christ shows, because we are deserving of his wrath, it shows that God is kind, that he is merciful, and that he is loving, and that he is gracious. And out of the fullness of grace, he bestows salvation upon all who call on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is free. It is a gift. Have you come to the place in your life where you know that you are a sinner, the deserving of wrath and the displeasure of God? Do you know that God has offered in the gospel the only way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be reconciled with him and for us to experience eternal life? My prayer for you this morning is that you will see and know that the work of God 
is not a result of human power. It is not a result of anything that we do. But it is a miraculous work of God's power raising us, raising us to know him and the life that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and being united with him in that. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you that from highest heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ is mindful of each and every one for whom he died, and that he pours out upon us uh, his great uh, grace and power, and that he has uh, raised us from spiritual death and brought us into union with himself. We pray, O God, that these things would be impressed upon us and that we would look forward with eager expectation, even in the trials of this life, for that glorious future that is ours in Christ. We pray all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.